everyone, and welcome to Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. And I'm Becca Freeman. And today we have an interview with the author of Nora Goes Off Script and Same Time Next Summer, Annabelle Monahan, who was just a delight to have on the podcast. She's truly a delight. I can't wait for you to listen. But what I actually can't wait for is Olivia to share her high. Oh, well, I actually have two highs. <laughs> One of which is also yours. But yes, I I sold a book. I'm I have a book coming out next year and I announced it this morning. So I'm like really riding high here. I feel incredible. I'm so excited for you. I feel like, well, I know that this has been going on behind the scenes and you haven't really talked about it. So it's so exciting to have the big reveal. Yeah, it feels kind of surreal because I've just been kind of alone in my own little world working on it, which has been kind of nice in and of itself. But um, yeah, it's called Such a Bad Influence, and it's about uh, an influencer who goes missing, but it's not just any influencer. She's kind of one of the first like kid influencers who grows up online because her parents are these famous YouTubers. So it's about her older sister trying to find her and kind of going deep into the very dark world of uh, child stars and internet culture. And uh, it was really fun to write and I'm really proud of it. So I cannot have wait more to read it soon <laughs> next summer. Get ready. I cannot wait to read it. I'm so proud of you. I've been refreshing the comments on your post all morning and just like reading them with tears in my eyes. Thank you. Becca was the first to comment. Like, no hesitation. No one was even close to her. It was, of course, Well, I I knew that you were posting it this morning, and I woke up this morning, and the first thing I did was go to your uh, feed to see if you'd posted it yet so I could like and comment. And then I texted you, and I was like, where is it? When is it happening? Like, I was ready. Oh, well... Thank you. I, it really does. Like I watched Becca go through this with her book and like, I was not surprised at all how incredible the response was, but I just, it's a very, I I just feel very overwhelmed with gratitude at how kind people are being. It's like, it means so, so much more than I could have even like anticipated feeling. So thank you. And thank you, Becca, for all the support. Oh, I'm so excited. You're living your best day ever. (laughs) And actually, when I first filled out this <laughs> this outline, I had my original high. I totally forgot about this, even though I just posted about it three hours ago. But my original high was the same as yours, which was your Christmas in July party. And I just had the most wonderful time, so much so that I like intentionally missed my train back upstate and just slept on Becca's couch in her pajamas <laughs> and stayed over because um, it was so much fun. But anyway, I will let you talk about it now because... It was your party and it was just great. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh my gosh. I'm like still, I feel high just thinking about this party. It was so, so fun. I threw myself a Christmas in July party. Back in June, I felt like nothing was happening with my book. And I've heard from other authors that kind of like two to three months out is this notorious dead zone where you just get so anxious. And so I kind of felt like I needed something to occupy myself with. So I didn't just spin. And so I threw this party and I went all out decorating for Christmas and I made a whole spread of kind of Christmas colored food and we had Christmas music and we had an ambiance room on the TV and everyone dressed Christmassy and it was, it was truly the best time. I had so much fun and feeling other people's excitement in person 
just made me so much more excited too. Yeah, people were just, it was just a really like positive, uplifting, exciting, inspiring kind of group. And Uh. everyone was obviously so excited for the book and so happy. And it was just really cool. It was a really life affirming evening. Oh, thank you. I also haven't thrown a party since before COVID. And, you know, I've been to parties, but it's so different to gather everyone who are your people into a room. And so it was so fun mm-hmm. to 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 get everyone I like together and to, to host a party. And I'm so, so grateful fun. to you. You came down early because my back is still not 100% and you helped all day. Um, and I'm so, so grateful because I literally could not have done it without you. Of course. Yeah. I, I won't say that anyone should hire me for the balloon arch uh, assembly. I, our friendship but... did almost end at one point <laughs> where I was laying on my back because I was like, I'd straight, I'd overexerted myself. And Olivia was trying to hang this balloon arch and I was offering copious feedback, which I shouldn't have been. And I really, I was like, oh, are we going to survive this? I did. It was fine. I was just like, I'm not cut out for this life. I'm not cut out for the balloon arch life. I feel like in this world, there are people who would be good at that and there are people who wouldn't. And, you know, I kind of thought maybe I was the person who'd be good at it, but I think it did look good in the end. It was, was great. Was it stable? Absolutely not. You know, um, I was, it was an engineering like F minus. I was really wondering if it would last through the party structurally. And not only did it last through the party, it was still intact the next morning. Wow. Well, that makes me feel good. I won't lie. It does. What about on the uh, low side? My low is just that I woke up like we didn't end up going to sleep until like maybe one or two. I don't know. Yeah, there was a late there was a late night crew of people who stayed, which was very fun. And then after they left, I just wanted to keep talking like my social battery was at like full charge. Yeah, same. So we're up pretty late and then I'm like laying on the couch And I realized that I did not bring glasses, obviously, because I didn't think I was staying over. I didn't bring contacts. My contacts are like drying out within my skull and falling out. And I'm like, oh, crap. I'm like, if I go to Penn Station and I don't have these contacts in, if I don't keep one of these in my head, then I'm not going to be able to read the board with the trains and the, the, you know, what's it called? Not the gates. Whatever. I'm not going to be able to know where to go. I was panicked. So I ended up getting one back in my eye, which stung so profusely that my eye started watering. This is way too much information, but I'm just giving it to you. It's like, this is how old I am. I'm not built for just a spontaneous, like I'm staying later at the party kind of evening. I get it. My, my eyes started, like I started crying. And then my other one, I couldn't get back in my eye. So I couldn't find any contact solution in your house because I think you don't wear contacts. So I used my own tears to then wet my other contact and stick it back in my eye. It was it was chaotic. It was raw. I, I just I didn't like it. I didn't like what was happening for me. As somebody who's very grossed out by eye stuff, I don't love it. I'm so sorry. Don't I'm love so it. I'm so sorry. Trigger <laughs> trigger warning. Trigger warning for eye stuff. Uh, guess what? I could see clearly in Penn Station the next day. Honestly, not something you want to see at six in the morning, but. I did make my way home and I am alive. So that's all we can ask for. Yeah. What's what's your flow? Similar eye stuff. Trigger warning. Um, I the part you don't Sorry, see on Instagram. The part you don't see on Instagram. The party was great. Everything was amazing. I definitely gave myself pink eye from sleeping in my makeup. 
Like for sure. How often do you sleep in your makeup now? Because I'm personally like I'm at like one time a year. And if it happens, like it was it was a wild night for me. I would say more frequently. I would say like once a month. However, the difference what? Yeah. Oh yeah. Your skin looks great. For Thank you. That. I'm so lazy. But the difference is, is that for this party, I was wearing a lot of eye makeup versus usually when I sleep in my makeup, it means I have on like a coat of mascara. Right. Versus like yeah. glittery and like two kinds of eyeliner. And yeah. Yeah. Well, it looks great. Is it real pink eye or is it just like crusty? It, it's very red. It's like irritated. I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't know. It's not great. No. Well... I put an eye drop so that I look normal for you. I use some visine. If only I could have found them the other evening. Yeah. Although you're not supposed to use visine with contacts, I think. Oh. Anyway, all's well that ends somewhat well. Well, after those high highs and low eye-related lows, let's take a quick ad break and then get into this interview. Today, we want to tell you about a podcast we're obsessed with and think you'll love too, and that's The Terrible Reading Club. If you love to read, which I'm pretty sure you do, and or you've been through some stuff, The Terrible Reading Club is perfect for you. The podcast is hosted by past podcast guest Nora McInerney, who is also the host of Terrible Thanks for Asking, and includes book recs from Nora and author friends and interviews with authors like John Green and Anne Lamont. Those are some seriously big names. Uh, I have followed Nora and her work for so long. She is just amazing. You might also know Nora from her books, Bad Vibes Only, The Hot Young Widows Club, and It's Okay to Laugh, Crying is Cool Too. I personally love any episode of any podcast that puts two writers in conversation. And if you know me, I also love books about tough topics like grief, basically anything that will make you cry. So this podcast is a true slam dunk from my end. They're just back with a new season and new episodes drop twice a month, but they also have a back catalog of episodes to binge now. You can find The Terrible Reading Club anywhere you listen to podcasts. We are so thrilled to have Annabelle Monahan with us today. She is the author of Same Time Next Summer and Nora Goes Off Script, as well as two young adult novels and the nonfiction collection Does This Volvo Make My Butt Look Big, a selection of laugh out loud columns that appeared in the Huffington Post, The Week, and The Rye Record. And she lives in Rye, New York with her family. Welcome, Annabelle. Welcome. I'm so happy to be here. I love your podcast. Um, so this is just a thrill. We are so thrilled to have you because we just discussed Same Time Next Summer last week for our book club on the podcast. And so now we get to get to know the person behind it. Well, I'll tell you, I listened, but I had to stop listening. So I listened to your podcast and then I thought, am I eavesdropping on people talking about my book? And then I got really self-conscious and I stopped listening. I can imagine. <laughs> I, I I'm kind of in the early stages of my book is starting to get Goodreads reviews and I'm addictively reading them, but I'm like, oh, no, oh this is, no, no, this no. is going to go off the rails real fast. <laughs> I've told her, I said, oh, so Becca, how often are you checking? She was like four times a day. I'm yeah. like, I think we've got to get that down. I think we've got to get that number down. Yeah. No, I say we get it down to zero. Um, and, and this may be way <laughs> off topic, but I will tell you, I just don't think it's healthy to go deep into what other people are saying, whether it's good or bad. Oh, I'm like sure it's not everyone, healthy. 
That's not up for debate. No, I don't think this is a good idea, especially if you're trying to write another book. Well, um, I, I say you stay off. I, I can't. I've, I've had this conversation with my agent. She's like, don't look. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Um, and I'm like, OK, great. Um, let's have this conversation in October when I'm crying and then I'll never look again. So, like, I feel like I'm I'm like the kid that you're like, don't touch the stove. Don't touch the stove. And like, I need to get burned in order to learn the lesson. Like, I don't read the podcast reviews anymore. So I'm just like just hovering my hand over the stovetop, over the burner. And I'm like, let's see what happens. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll all wait for you to hit rock, rock bottom. Well, yeah, exactly. What I can say about Same Time Next Summer is that we both really enjoyed it. And honestly, like, I would say it was one of our most universally liked books on book club. Like, if you go through the comments on the Facebook group and everything, people loved it. So it's so nice to hear. Yes. I've read it three times. I read it back in. Yes, Becca's read it three times. Yeah, I read it back in February when I got the arc. And then I read it again because I'm writing right now a dual timeline romance. And I I was like, oh, I want to dive into how you portrayed the kid timeline. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I reread it. And then I, I reread it to prepare for book club so that I was fresh. And I was like, I enjoyed it so much every time. Wow. It's a good thing I write such a short book. I know. Thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for that. Let's start with your journey to becoming a published author. I love hearing authors talk about like what brought them to this exact point. Um, So we've read in other interviews that you started your career in finance. Is that correct? Yes. And then you wrote your first book at 39, which I love. Um, What made you finally decide to take that step? Because that's a very big change. No, it's a very big change. And it it wasn't as if I was um, a finance person who just had a wild hair to start writing. I was a writer. Um, I always wanted to be a writer, like from the time I was a little kid. I was an English major in college. Um, That was all I ever wanted to do. And when I had the realization that I was not going to have food or shelter um, ever again, because like... No one's going to hire you to write a novel. I don't know why I didn't know that until I was 21. Um, So I needed to take care of myself. Uh, So I got a job on Wall Street and I did that. And I kind of, you know, I got momentum being what it is. You do that job. And then the next thing is to go to business school. So I went and I got an MBA. And once you do that, you go back to Wall Street. And I was really a terrible investment banker, Um, was not good at it in any way. Um, and when I got pregnant with my first child, I was like, Ooh, this is an out. I'm going to get out of here and do something else. So I actually didn't work. I was home with three kids for eight years, um, before I started writing at all. And my very first book was actually a nonfiction book, um, sort of positive thinking for teenage girls. Uh, you've never heard of it. It was not successful. Um, but I wrote it with a friend of mine and she, she just said, let's write a book. And I don't have that kind of confidence to be like, sure, let's write a book. Uh, but she did. Uh, and I sort of latched onto her confidence and went with her on that journey. And that was kind of how I got started. And then I had an agent. And so then I wanted to write a novel and I already had an agent. And just little bit by little bit, um, my confidence sort of grew. How did you decide that you wanted to write YA fiction? Uh, well, I... You know, I think it was sort of by default, and I think it might have had something to do with my confidence. When you, you know this, um, when you write a novel, you reveal a lot about yourself. 
um, and about your life and about your worldview and about your psyche. Um, and I think that when I was starting, I was so terrified to start that I was comfortable revealing to my reader what I was like when I was 17. Because there's such a dif distance. Like, I don't care what right. you think about how I was when I was 17. Sure. I think it felt safe. Yeah. I think I felt like a little bit removed from it. Um, and after I wrote those two YA novels, I started writing my column, which is basically just like ha-has for moms. Um, and that's where I started getting more comfortable with my grown-up voice and just putting out little tidbits of who I actually am and what I actually think. And that was more well-received than my YA books, um, which really surprised me. And um, and I think that's what led me up to finally, it's COVID. I've got no place to go. I'm going to write Nora Goes Off Script. I think that I think it was my column that kind of led me to start doing what I'm doing now. So I feel like you're kind of like a fake debut. I feel like sometimes like Emily Henry, <laughs> like everyone ignores the fact that she wrote um, – three or four YA books before her, right. before Beach Read. And, you know, Taylor Jenkins Reid, I feel like I hear a lot of conversation where they're like, yes, in her first book, um, The Seven Husbands yeah, Daisy, of Evelyn Hugo. Daisy Jones. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so right. you, you'd published before, but this was your first adult book. Did it feel different than your YA or nonfiction um, book releases? Well, totally. Okay. Uh, totally, because my, my YA books were you know, the last book that my publisher was with Houghton Mifflin Harcourt, um, they were not terribly interested in my books. They were publishing them and hoping for the best. Um, when Putnam bought Nora Goes Off Script, they were so excited about it. And all of a sudden they're sending me places and they're doing all this marketing. And I, I don't, I mean, it was such a totally different experience and enthusiasm level. Um, my editor is like, maybe my favorite person that I know. Um, so it's just been a really positive, wonderful experience. That's great. Yeah. So before we get into same time next summer, which we have plenty of questions about, um, we obviously need to talk about Nora Goes Off Script as well, which again is beloved by many of our listeners. Um, and one of the most popular questions we got is if the writing cottage, I think it's called like the tea, the tea cottage or the, the tea house. Yes. Um, is if it was inspired by a real place. Do you have a little house in the woods that you go write? Or was this totally fictional? Well, it was half fictional. Um, I actually received, like in 2007, a thousand years ago, I received in the mail a coffee table book uh, that had been produced by a home builder who was building mansions in Connecticut. And I don't know why they, maybe they thought I wanted a mansion in Connecticut. I mean, so who I got this thing, yeah, right? Who doesn't? I know we should all have one. Um, and they were the most over the top mansions I've ever seen, like with moats around them. I mean, castles. And I thought this is so ridiculous and I'm about to toss it. And I get to this page where there's this French country home with a tea house and it's called, the caption is the tea house in the backyard. And it's set, there's a little table that's set for tea and it has a working fireplace. And I like honestly got the chills. And so I left the book open for like a year. And then I took a picture of it and I had it on my screensaver on my laptop. And I just like got really preoccupied by this tea house. And it just was sort of like faded into the background. Fast forward to COVID, 
And I have my entire family home, my teenage children, my husband's home, every corner of my house is full. And all I wanted was someplace to go. Like my COVID fantasy was that tea house. So when I started to write Nora's story and, you know, her story and Leo and all that someone else's fantasy, my fantasy is just being able to get out of my house. Um, so that's where that came from. Um, but I still do not have a tea house. And I think if I did, it would be feel like a lot of pressure. Like that's true. Thing like that. Like, oh God, now I got to really write something good. Have you seen? I, I get that. I feel like there's an author. I want to say she's maybe Australian on oh, Instagram. Sally Hepworth. Sally Hepworth. And she has one. Oh, does she? Yes. Yeah. Sally Hepworth. I need to follow her. It's. <laughs> it, she's the coolest person on Instagram. I like she's my favorite person to follow. Um, but yes, her husband or some, they just built like a whole, and she has a bed in there, like a yes. real bed. Yeah. Yes. Ooh. Yes. Well, uh, and probably air conditioning would be my guess. So mm. the, the problem is for me is that I, I could have the most beautiful tea house in the world. I don't know. I don't know where I would put it in my third floor Brook, Brooklyn apartment, but I wouldn't <laughs> use it because like I, I have an office that I don't use. Like I only write at okay. my dining room table or my kitchen island. Like, would you use your tea house? No, that's the thing. I mean, I'm the kind of person, if I join a gym, it's the last day I exercise. I just quit. <laughs> it's it's too much pressure. And I Oh, I've been there. I've wasted many an Equinox membership. <laughs> yes. You've got a whole like basement full of tennis rackets you've never used. I, I mean, I yeah. am that guy. Um, I am much happier in a no pressure kind of situation. I have a little room in the front of my house with a little chair and I just sit right there and write. Is that where you always write or do you do you switch it up? Are you very like regimented? For the most part. Okay. In the summer, I sometimes like to write outside. But what I don't understand is I see these writers on Instagram with the beautiful ocean view that they're looking <laughs> at when they write. If I have a beautiful view, I'm going to look at the beautiful view. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right. Eve to write in. I need something, you know, where, where all, the only thing to do is write. No distractions. I had this fever dream when I was um, starting my second book and I, I was like, you know, I'm, I'm home so much more, but I don't have to be because of COVID. And I was like, I'm going to write in coffee shops. Isn't that romantic? Like the idea of sitting down to write in a coffee <laughs> shop. I went once and I was like, this is horrible for me. No, like, it's this horrible. There's never so many work. people. You feel bad taking up the table because you've only bought one cup of coffee. I, I j it doesn't work. For I me. feel self-conscious. Like I'm like, is somebody looking at my screen? There's like people on Zoom calls talking and I'm like, oh my God, this is this I just grow to me. hate everyone around me. Yeah. I'm like, I, why are you here? Why are you chewing so loud? Why are you typing so loud? As I'm typing, like it's, I'm suddenly enraged at their typing. Anyway, yeah, I, I get that. Terrible. Um, so the real reason we invited you on is because I need you to be my book therapist. And I've heard that writing same time next summer was a challenge, which by the way, is not evident at all in the finished no. book. And I want to hear a little bit more about that. Well, it was horrible. I, I don't know a quicker, quicker way to say it. Um, I, when I was writing Nora Goes Off Script, it was during a time when I thought we were all going to die. So I was just writing that book for something to do. I never thought anybody was going to read it. There was no pressure. I was just doing it to avoid making banana bread and watching Netflix like everyone else was doing. Um, and then people liked that book. And my editor said, you know, you're going to get really in your head about your second book. And I thought, oh, like, I don't, I, being in my head is not a place where like creative things happen. I do not write from my head at all. I write 
totally from my heart. Um, and I kind of panicked. Um, and I think that most writers will say this to you, Becca, are you feeling a little panicked also? I, I was trying to explain this to somebody the other night and it's completely illogical. And they're like, well, why, why do you feel so nervous about your second book? And I was like, well, I feel like I'm afraid of letting people down. And they're like, who? And of course my editor is like a real person, but I'm like, you know, the people. And they're like, who? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> Just the, quote, people. Are you Uh, really afraid of letting yourself down? Probably. I have no idea, but I'm so in my head about it. And it's not as if so many people have read my first book yet that they have expectations. Or maybe they're going to hate the first book. So it doesn't matter if the second one is like it. I have read The Christmas Orphans Club, and I loved it. Oh, thank you. So I have the expectations, and you better not screw this up. Oh, that's not helping. (laughs) There now is you're the one person you might of disappoint. The I'm going to think of you every time I get I'm in my the one head. you don't want to let down. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think it's a very common thing. Like Olivia Rodrigo just released her second album, right? But uh, like, I'm sure she's, you know, she's probably 16 years old now. Um, I'm sure that she was really worried about doing that pressure um, mm-hmm. for her to, to be under. Um and so I had a hard time. I knew what I wanted to write about. It didn't take me. I mean, I sort of knew thematically that I wanted to write a story about how identity gets shaped by heartbreak. I knew that I wanted it to be a little bit of a ripoff on the 1940 movie, The Philadelphia Story. I'm so looking I know. at you guys. You're- I, I have to watch that. Your book was inspired with that. It's in Alyssa Sussman's book. I feel like this is such a formative. Oh, is that right? Yes. In, yeah. um, in the first one. Funny you should ask. It's a big plot point that um, the male actor in it is remaking uh, like a modern adaptation of the Philadelphia story. And so it's a big plot point. That is wild. I'm like, so many of my favorite authors are so inspired by this movie. I need to go back and watch it. And, you know, it's it is it's it's socially problematic now. (laughs) There's just a lot of things about that movie and um, the, the remake High Society. Um, and they're all just so drunk and flagrantly rich and it's all just wild. But what's what always struck me about that movie when I was a kid is the way that she becomes this very hard, very strong, very put together person to protect herself from ever having another heartbreak. And so that's that's kind of where I was starting. But literally, I wrote this book, I don't know, 12, 15 times. I wrote it backwards and forwards. I wrote it from his perspective, her perspective, third person, first person, all of it in the past, all of it in the present. I I just, it it took me a long time to get to the point where I was like, oh, this is Sam's story. This is who Sam is. This is how this feels. And that's just because I was so in my head about it. And now, are you a very fast writer? How long did it take you to write 12 to 15 drafts of this book? You know, I think I wrote this book in a year, and I think I I don't have anything to compare it to. I I think I am a fast writer. I think so, too. Um, Yeah. Yeah, wow. So this is part of not being in my head. Um, I have a friend who's a great writer, and she will send me a chapter to read, and the chapter is perfect. It's like a diamond. Don't you just hate her? And then after she's... I, I know, but it takes her a long time to write that chapter. And when she's done, she writes the next chapter. I don't do that. I write nonsense just to get, because I'm just trying to get like all this stuff out and then yeah. I can shine it up. So I don't, it doesn't break my heart when I have to delete a hundred pages because it's not like it's Shakespeare. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so were you working on these edits with your editor or were you just hoarding it away and doing it, doing it by yourself, just being like, it's not good enough yet? No. So I have sometimes have a hard time knowing when something's not good enough. Um, my editor, I was working with my editor where she was saying, I don't get it. I don't, you know, I, mm. I don't get who Sam is yet. Um, how, you know, and we sort of went back and forth. She gives me a lot of time. Um, and she's also a genius. I don't know if I said that before. It's like, I lean on her brain, um, particularly, and this Becca is something we should definitely talk about the going back and forth in time is not for the faint of heart. Oh, it's so hard. And in my book, all of the past chapters were on Christmases. And there were certain things that, you know, I wanted to add in. And I was like, it's breaking my brain. Like, it's it's like yeah. where well, this What goes. did I say when? Where where was the information that, because that hasn't happened yet. Right. In the, it, right. Yeah, it's, um, that's sort of complicated. I'm not sure I'm going to do that again. I'm, I'm doing do you- it again. And I'm like, why am I doing this? Um, was there, I don't know if this like veers into spoiler territory, but was there like a, a light bulb moment? Was there something for you that just cracked it and you were like, oh, now I understand who Sam is. Was there like any feedback or it was just like a gradual process of just chipping away and kept doing it over and over? I can't remember. There definitely was a moment. I can't exactly tell you what the moment was and maybe because it's a spoiler, but a lot of it has to do with, um, with her father. Mm. Um, a lot has to do with sort of her place in the family. Um, and once I started to feel what that might've felt like to be in her skin on that particular day, um, then I understood what might happen to her as an adult. Mm -hmm. And so then of course Mm -hmm. I go back to the beginning of the book and I write her as an adult as that person. Um, this is not an efficient process, uh, by any means. Mm. Um, well, well, it, it worked. It worked. <laughs> it worked. Um, one thing I'm so curious about is in Same Time Next Summer, we get this past timeline with a teen love story. Was any of that mined or inspired by your own children? Oh, my goodness. Um, I thought you were going to say by me. My, oh. my children, my children do not share. Oh, okay. Um, I, have, I have three sons, um, and I'm sure that they have all sorts of romance going on but they they don't want me involved or to tell me about it okay (laughs) no we are we are a we talk about food and basketball in my house okay (laughs) sounds like my mom she'll call me and be i have a brother who's 26 and she'll be like grant tells me nothing he tells me nothing is he telling you something and i'm like no there's no information coming from me from him (laughs) three of them are a vault so like i don't get anything out of the others i'm sure i'm sure (laughs) no but i you know i grew up in los angeles um i grew up going to the beach all the time um when i was a teenager i think i was always in love with somebody i was never loved back like sam was like i never had that you know totally intense relationship but all of those kind of feelings I've had them. I think they're all kind of universal. I, I also think it's funny that so many people that I know think this book is about them. Oh, they're like, oh, it's about that did, summer that I. I did see your note at the end where you were like, just I'm just going to get ahead of everyone asking me. This is not based on anyone specific. Well, it's such a universal <laughs> fantasy of having that vacation love story. Yeah, yeah, and the and and that summer 
you know, that summer relationship where you're literally not dressed the whole time. Mm -hmm. You're like in a bathing suit the whole summer. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Oh, that can only happen when you're young. Talked about this in the book club episode, but I, the reading, it reminded me so much of that feeling of like leaving your usual life for summer and that like intense, like fantasizing about who you're going to meet is this like summer version of you in this new place. And it was just like very visceral. Anyway, I just really liked that about it. <laughs> the story a little bit, just the the change in location. Mm-hmm. You know, the way you, you go to a different place and you remember a different part of yourself. Yeah. You know, when you go home, I, I'm sure everybody feels like this. You go home and all of a sudden, like all the scaffolding you've put up around yourself to make yourself a big, bad grown up kind of falls away because, you know, they remember you as a kid. Everybody sees you with braces on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so true. Um. So now it's not inspired by any of your sons. Have your sons read your books? So everybody read Nora Goes Off Script during quarantine. Um, I asked them to read it and they all said no. And then <laughs> I paid them each $100. Oh, very effective. Yeah. No, is this a joke? I thought we were all dying anyways. But I <laughs> I gave them each $100 and they read it. Um, and they had d- different kinds of feedback. My middle son gave me like notes on the oh, story. Were they helpful really notes? Oh, wow. They were really helpful. Oh. They were really helpful. The other two rolled their eyes a lot. Um, and then <laughs> same time next summer, only my middle son read it. My husband always reads it. But my middle son read it and gave me notes. And he's actually giving me notes on the book I'm writing right now. Uh, I love that. So, you know, does he clearly my favorite? Does he have writing aspirations (laughs) himself? I don't think so. I don't think so. He's like kind of more of like a math guy. Hmm. Um, But he uh, he's very willing. He's willing to kind of go there. And then my editor will send an editorial letter and he wants to read it. Oh, oh, do you you let him? Yes. Oh, it's been very interesting for me with my own book sharing it with friends and even some friends who don't necessarily read like some friends have very astute feedback and like aren't readers in the genre aren't readers at all um and then some people are like not useless like it's you know they're just like this is amazing but you could hand them a pile of trash they would be like this is so great um so it's just so interesting who who really goes in for the editorial notes yeah and i think you have to be careful sharing early drafts um like I don't I don't want to share something that's really early with somebody who's going to knock my confidence down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to share it with, you know, my editor who's going to say, hmm, you know, none of this makes sense, but I liked <laughs> the way you, you know, and then I. Yeah. Going. Oh, yeah. man. They see the vision far in the future. That's all you need sometimes. Uh, so getting into the specifics of same time next summer, what was something in the story or the setting that you researched a lot or like geeked out over? Um, you know, the amount of research I do is really shamefully small. Um, but in this book, there were a couple of things I had to, I had to learn a little bit about surf surfing, mm-hmm. like just the language, mm-hmm. you know, you, you wouldn't want me describing surfing without checking with someone. Um, <laughs> I had my brother-in-law read a lot of that. And I did need to consult with a therapist um, about Sam about her state of mind, um, about how, what kind of, what words of a diagnosis she would have been given for this, like, you know, 
heartbreak that she's not quite getting through. Um, and I needed to, I needed to talk to somebody about, you know, I made up a therapist who's a bad therapist, right? Who gives bad advice. And I needed her to give bad advice for the story to work, but I needed to talk to somebody about, um, how that might work. And I did kind of dig deep into that about how you might feel and, um, I don't know, just what that might do to you. That's really interesting. I would have never thought that, but it makes total sense now. <laughs> yeah. You can't, I mean, you can't, you can't, I can't be diagnosing people, but I can't right. <laughs> just on my own. Yeah. So. I mean, I would have trusted you, but it's, it's nice to know. <laughs> so we have a couple of writing questions for you that we put out the call to our, to our listeners for what questions they had for you. And so these are directly from them. Although one is from Olivia. Somebody wanted to know how you come up with your ideas and what your brainstorming process looks like. Hmm. Uh, I, my ideas for almost everything that I write, big and small, this is like books and my column and everything, are just anything that passes through my life that stays with me for a bit. Mm-hmm. So just something that where I go, oh, yes, or it makes me laugh. And then maybe it makes me laugh later again. Um, I kind of gather all those things and try to turn them into a story. Um, a lot of my ideas and what ends up going into my book really come from my subconscious. Um, I'm not aware of a lot of the writing that I'm doing and the connections that I'm making and really the things I'm revealing about myself while I'm writing, which is very alarming, actually. But a lot of it, it's just, it's all kind of experiential. Yeah. I feel like it's really hard to like brute force an idea. I feel like people ask this because they're like, how do I come up with the idea? And it's like, I I feel like it's like a gradual or I don't know, it's kind of magical. Like I've I've never ever sat down with a notepad in front of me and been like, I'm going to come up with 10 ideas and I'm going to whittle it down to the one. Yeah. I mean, that could work for someone. I I think it does work for people. I, I would come up with 10 of the shittiest ideas ever. Yeah. I need, I, yeah. I need to get into somebody's skin and like just mm-hmm. like be in that space for a little while and then know what they've been through. And then it actually becomes quite easy to write a book because yeah. you know what they do. Um, but it just takes a while to get inside somebody's skin. Mm-hmm. I think some people think that they need some like light bulb, divine inspiration moment, life changing idea when Honestly, like sometimes I think it's about what you said, like you choose the idea and then you do like the character work or the con- like the themes or whatever. Like, I don't think it needs to be like, you know, this choir of angels singing around the idea and like suddenly, you know, that it's perfect. Yeah, no, I, I think that if we wait for that, we're not going to write any books. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's yes. the, the problem. You know, the, the lightning bolts are not coming. You know, I think and frankly, I don't think that that much stuff comes from outside of you. I think that a lot of our stories come from inside of us. Yes. And stuff that we're kind of dealing with. You know, a crazy thing happened actually um, after Same Time Next Summer came out. I got an Instagram message from this wonderful author, Maggie North. Um, she's Canadian. And she said, oh, I, I read Same Time Next Summer. And it's so wonderful how you wrote a metaphor for writing the second novel. And I thought, I don't know what you're talking about. You're like, did I do that? And then, and <laughs> just this message for someone else. Were you like, yes, you're, you're totally right. <laughs> talking about is the whole storyline in this book where 
it has nothing to do with the story really, but how Sam's father had this uh, one wonderfully successful collection of right. of paintings and he was never able to do it again. And throughout yes. the whole story and a whole decade, he's trying to do it a second time and he doesn't. And of course, you know that that's how I was feeling the whole time I was writing this book. And it just snuck right into that dad. Wow. Oh, that's so funny. That's kind of cool. Readers are so cool that way. Ugh. I loved the parents, by the way. I loved the family in this book and Same. their creativity. And the grandparents. Yeah. Thank you. Thank uh, you. I liked the grandparents. And I kind of like the way grandparents, things are not quite as charged with grandparents as they are with parents. Yes. So you always have issues with your parents, but the grandparents can kind of sit back and just say what they think and tell it like it is. Um, <laughs> yeah. Because they have a little distance. It's true. Yeah. Someone wanted to know how you pick character names. Um, like for Sam, did you know that you wanted a gender neutral name because of the song? Or do you just choose them at random? Well, so Sam, it, Sam had a reason. Um, in the remake of Philadelphia Story, which is High Society, um, actually in both movies, her name is Tracy, but the, her middle name is Samantha. Oh. And oh. in High Society, her ex-husband is Bing Crosby. And he has written a very famous song about her called Samantha. Oh. And she hates this song because her ex-husband wrote it and it reminds her of all the things that happened. So Sam, her being Sam was just sort of a nod to that. Having said that, most of the names that I choose are for the way they feel. Like Nora is a very heavy name to me. It's a grounded on the earth name. Mm -hmm. in, in my mind, you, yeah. know, you have associations with names. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. where that came from. But I also just look for names that are not names of people I know. Oh, okay. Uh, and I'm right. running out of names, frankly. <laughs> I really am. I, I know a lot of people. So I don't want to use names of people I know. Um, it drives me crazy in books when everybody's name starts with the same letter. I mm -hmm. find it very confusing to read. So sometimes mm -hmm. this character just has to start with a J. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've started keeping a list in my phone of names that I come across other places that I like. And especially, do you know what I do a lot? I'll read the acknowledgements of other books and steal oh. first or last names from just like real people in that author's life. Oh, that's I smart. don't know. That's very for smart. some reason, I find last names very hard. I, th I find last names really hard too because last names tell you something. That's yeah. what's hard. It's like, do you want to give this person an ethnicity? Do you want to give this person a, a, a regional and, you know, does everybody in my book sound Irish Catholic all of a sudden? Like, you you, you kind of need to mix it up. I find it very hard. Yeah. And you're like, when it's like, come up with a last name, you can only think of like 10 really generic ones. And you're like, huh. <laughs> yeah. It's like, Matthews, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smith. Yeah. So I've started take, I've started just like stealing weird last names from other authors, people that they want to acknowledge. Yeah. Another thing we could do is just watch a movie and That's then true. read the credits. That's through true. Through the credits and yeah. still. Yeah. That's a great idea. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> well, wait, Olivia, you so, have a writing question. Yes, I do. So one of the things I really admired about both of, of your adult novels is the pace of the chapters and how tight they are and how they really make you want to keep reading, not stop reading, like just keep going and going. So my question is, does that come naturally to you? Like, are you just a natural, like the tap chapters are tight, everything is moving? 
or do you write them much longer and edit them down? And if so, how? Yeah, no, I, <laughs> so please I, help I, me. I think, um, there's, there's kind of a joke in my first young adult novel. She's a, a digit is a, um, collects bumper stickers because she loves how concise they are and how you can just make somebody think with the fewest words possible. Um, and I think that's a natural preference for mine. I write, Nora goes off script. I was finished with that book. It was 100 pages. Like, I can't tell you how short I can write. Wow. And of course you can't. That's a talent. It, it, well, I don't know. I, I skip over a lot of stuff. Um, I assume that people see what's in my head. Um, and so I actually, I will deliver a, like a 55,000 word book and my editor will say what is she looking at right now what what's around her what does she smell anything can she and then I go back I'm like oh right the sea breeze is coming you know all of that yeah but I I I think it's part of writing fast I like to get it out um and I just also I don't like explaining things to readers Mm. I feel like if I have to go back and say so what I'm really feeling right now is then I didn't do my job to begin with right so I just, I like to keep it short. The book I'm writing right now, though, is very long. I mean, it's it's a regular length book. It's, I think, 80,000 words at this point. So I, I don't know what's happened to me. I find it oh. so admirable how spelt your books are. And especially with Nora Goes mm-hmm. Off Script, it was like, it didn't feel like it was missing anything. And as a reader, you know, sometimes you pick up, especially with commercial fiction, you're like, why is this 500 pages? Why? why? Just like, oh, there's no need for this to be this long. Uh, yeah. And so like well, as, I, as a reader, like I really appreciate it too. Like I love the feeling of like, especially if you're traveling somewhere and you can just like get through a full book on a plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that feeling too. Yeah. It's like so yeah. satisfying. Well, thank you. I'm curious, kind of like looking at the macro and zooming out, what has been the high and the low of your writing career so far? The high is this. I mean, the high is, frankly, like the three of us sitting here talking and (laughs) you guys read my book and then we were talking about it together. And then, Becca, I got to read your book and we're talking about it. I I, it is it's a feeling of connecting with people in a way that feels much more than social. Yeah, Um, it's it's very. um, I I don't know. It just it it feels like almost like I'm having kind of a spiritual experience where I'm Mm -hmm. sharing something joyful and people are feeling joyful about it. It's just uh, it it's it's been uh, unexplainably great. And you've toured a lot. Do you does that energize you? Do you like that, or do you have stage fright? Do you not like it talking in front of people? I really like it. I I really I like to speak. Yeah, I love it. Like I love to do a talk. I love to meet people who are readers who have questions or different thoughts and do all of that. I think it looks really exhausting what I've been doing all summer. But frankly, as soon as you get into the room, there are all these people with this really good energy because if they hated your book, they wouldn't have come. Yeah. Right. So everybody's just excited. It's so funny. So before Olivia was my co-host, Grace Atwood was my co-host, and we did uh, quite a bit of touring in 2019 for the podcast. And it was so interesting how we both had such completely 
polar opposite reactions to doing live events where I'm like you, I'm very energized by it. I feed off people's energy. We would finish it and I would be like, let's go out. I'm like, somebody's gonna have to scrape me off the ceiling. Like I'm so excited. And she was so drained by it. It was just such like an interesting, I don't know, like a lesson just in like, we both experienced the exact same thing. And I felt one way and she felt the opposite. So I'm just always I, I think curious. I'm a third way. Oh, you're I a get third really way. energized. I love it. And I'm so happy the whole time. And then as soon as it's over, I need to go back to my hotel room and pull the covers over my head. Oh, okay. <laughs> like the, I get real, yeah. I get tired afterwards, yeah. but in the moment, I just think it's so joyful and so fun. Yeah. And what about the low? What's been the low of your writing? Well, I'll so tell far? you, I, it's when you said that the first thing that popped in my mind is I wrote an article I, I really want to say it was 10 years ago and it was kind of a joke about how my husband in the morning would leave for work and I would be in my pajamas and he would come home late at work because he worked long hours and I was in my pajamas again. And I always had the feeling that he kind of thought I was in my pajamas the whole day, but like a lot of things had happened between when he mm-hmm. left and when he came back. So it was kind of like a ha ha. And it went crazy viral, like around the world. And a a lot of like men in their basements with guns were reading it and saying that I was being disrespectful to my husband. What? And like, I got, it was really weird. Like I, what I'm saying is I was misunderstood on the internet. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, I had an email from somebody who wanted to come to my house and rape me. Like (gasps) it was really Whoa. And I, in that moment, I was like, I don't ever want to be famous. Mm, (laughs) Yeah. Is, yes. Felt really unsafe. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And it was kind of an interesting lesson. Like, you're putting it out there. Mm -hmm. You You don't don't know what's going to happen to it. Yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so scary. Gosh, I'm sorry. That's so scary. It was scary. It was creepy. Yeah. Um, Well, we can't let you go without talking about other books. So I'm curious, do you read while you're drafting or are you an author that like avoids reading while you're writing? Well, I, you know, I have, I have a lot of books that I've, I've promised to read with an eye to blurbing. So oh. I'm always reading those books. Uh-huh. Um, I, when I, when I have time to read and I'm writing, I try to read something that's so different from the kind of book that I would write. Um, my favorite is Lisa Jewell. Oh, you're a thriller um, girl. I love all of it, all of it. The murdery, the murders, the, the, I also really love um, the rich people in the English countryside mm. who are doing each other. Oh, same. Love it. A little same. bit of poison just for the inheritance. <laughs> like, <laughs> give it to me a hundred times. Ooh. I love the books. Um, I cannot write a thriller or a mystery. I start cracking jokes. Like, as soon as I try, I just don't, it's not my mindset. Um, but I'd love to read those books. Ooh. If you could go back in time and erase your memory and reread a book for the first time, which book would you choose? Uh, Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. Can I say two? Yeah, of course. Yeah. I really loved, that was one of the most beautiful reading experiences I've ever had. The other one is I Capture the Castle by Dodie Smith. Oh, I don't know that Uh, one. She wrote wrote 101 Dalmatians. Oh. Uh, It's an old book. And it is such a different, special book. I I had the chills the whole time I was reading it. It's such fun. 
Is it an adult book or is it for children? You know, it, it's it's an adult book, but I think it was written before they had young adults. But mm. the main character is 16, uh, I think. And her family has no money and they're living in this um, like kind of a, a building off of a castle. And someone moves into the castle. You see where we're going yeah, with this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And they have sons. Oh. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> It is such, it's one of my favorite books. I, I would love to read that for the first time again. Oh, I love that. That sounds great. This is really reminding me, have you read this book? It's a YA book. It's called A Sky Painted Gold by an author named Laura Wood, who's an English author. No, no. It's a, it's very Gatsby-esque. It's told kind of in that same time frame, And it's about this girl who lives in a Cornish village. She has a million siblings and she's kind of like lost in her family. And there's this like very big mansion that sits abandoned that's kind of in their town and she always sneaks in there and is kind of it's like her secret escape and then the people who own it come to town and it's a a kind of 20-ish year old man and his younger sister and she gets like very embroiled with them oh my god it's so good (laughs) that that is so right up my alley it's so good. It's very, um, it's like Teen Gatsby, which is something that I'm very into. Oh, I'm so into that. Okay, say the name one more time. It's called A Sky Painted Gold by Laura Wood. Okay, I'm in. Okay. I'm in. You'll have next, to... t- next time I'm on a breather, that's what I'm going to read. Okay, you let me know if you read it. What are you, you've talked about it a little bit, but what are you working on next? Can you share anything specific? And um, what's this process been like compared to same time next summer? Just, I'm just out of my head. I, it's like I'm, I, I delivered my second novel. Thank you very much. And I never have to feel that way again. Uh, nobody cares about my third novel. I'm just going to write it. I care about uh, so, it. Well, I mean, I, I care about consuming it. Well, thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to get it to you. So it is I, my next round. My Probably my final round of edits is due in two weeks. So I'm very much rounding the corner. It is about a professional organizer whose life is a total mess, including her house and her head and her kids and um, everything. And she decides that she's going to have one last summer romance to kind of lighten things up in her life. And a bunch of stuff happens with that. Uh, It turns out to be really a story about grief. Um, She's grieving her mother. Uh, It's a story about motherhood. Uh, She has three kids. I'm going to have to get better at describing what this book's about in the next year. <laughs> but it comes out in June of 2024. Do you feel well, a lot sounds of, great. Do you feel a lot of pressure being on a book a year schedule? Or you're a fast writer, it doesn't you're working with it. You know, I'm not sure. I I it's kind of a lot. Yeah. Um but it's something that I can do. It's also something that I love doing. Yeah. So if if someone came to me and said, you know, we'd like a book in, from you every year, every other year, mm-hmm. uh, I would say, oh, okay, well, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> I love not just like producing a book. I actually love the process of writing. I love sitting mm-hmm. down to write. It's so funny. I was listening to this other podcast and it was an interview with Emma Straub and I can't remember who the other author was, but they were talking about, are you a person who likes to write or are you a person who likes having written? Yeah. And like, you're the person that likes to write. And I think I might be the person who likes having written. Yeah. Well, that's how I feel about running. Oh, like, okay. If I for a run, I'm like, wow, I'm really glad I did that, but I hated it the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, that's how I feel about most exercise. 
Yeah, no, that's that. That's it. But there's some. There's. I actually enjoy it, and I, I, I find it really fascinating. Even when I'm writing badly and it's not going anywhere, I'm like, wow, how are we going to solve this puzzle? Yeah, especially when you've been through the process from start to finish twice. Now you're kind of like, okay, like this is going to get figured out, and it's going to feel really good then too when I'm fixing this thing later or whatever. Exactly, exactly. And maybe the pace I'm on right now doesn't give me the time to sit and be like, I probably can't do this again. I, what am I thinking? Like, I don't have time for all of that self doubt. Also, I don't read my reviews. I know. I know. Okay. I know. Okay. She does. She doesn't listen to me. So I, I'm not going to listen to anyone. (laughs) Like it it literally is. That's true. (laughs) No, you're going to learn this one the hard way. Yeah. It's a lesson that I need to learn for myself. Annabelle, you have been such a joy. Can you tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet if they want to follow you and remind them the names of your two adult novels or anything else you want to plug? So my novels are Nora Goes Off Script and Same Time Next Summer. Please review them. I'm not going to read your review, but do it anyways. Um, (laughs) And you can find me at AnnabelleMonahan.com. And I'm Annabelle Monahan on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and threads. Uh, But I'm mostly on Instagram because that's too many places to be. I don't understand how people can be. It's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. So, um, and yep, that's it. Oh, thank you. All right, let's get into some end matter. Olivia, what is your obsession? My obsession is very unique to the world right now, and that is Barbie. <laughs> no one is talking about this movie. Can you believe that? We really have to yeah, do something about that. I've never, I haven't heard of this. It's really flowing. It's a little known actor, Margot Robbie. You might have heard of her. No, so I was excited for Barbie, but I wasn't like counting down the minutes. My outfit is planned. I'm there no matter what. And Jake and I ended up seeing this at a drive-in movie theater, which was my first time at a drive-in. It was literally everything I hoped for. Um, I loved this movie. I was so entertained, delighted, and more than that, like so inspired by just how weird it is. Like I want more weird, sad, funny things in this world that talk about the pressure that women have to live with (laughs) every day. Like I just want more of this. It was just, I, I don't know. I really just was surprised at how much I adored it. Me too. I was so surprised. I, I heard rumors that it had a more serious plot than they were showing in the previews. It just, I feel like it's so many turns. It absolutely surprised me. Like I guffawed. I don't guffaw much in life. (laughs) Yeah. But like the just spontaneous explosion of laughter that came out of me at so many points during the movie. I, oh my gosh, I adored it. And then that Billie Eilish song. Yes. Every time I hear it now, I just mentioned it. I literally have goosebumps. Like it, it just, I just sat there watching it and I just felt like I don't know. It's so cool what people create in this world. <laughs> it's just like I was just it was just really cool. Yes. Highly suggest. It was great. And a visual feast, too. Oh, yeah. And Matchbox 20. That Honestly, oh, to, I just so funny. Guitar. So funny. So good. So good. You'll have to watch. Well, I know your obsession. Well, I have I have experienced this and I can confirm. But tell us. 
okay, so my obsession is this appetizer that I made for my party. It's stuffed spinach and artichoke dip bread. We'll link it in the show notes, but if you want to Google it, it's from a website called Host the Toast. It was so good. So good. I would not call it low effort. I would say it's medium effort, but it is... As the person that did hollow out the bread, um, it was... It was a hard task. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't hard, but yeah, there's yeah, but there are a lot involved. of steps. It was it was medium effort. It it was so delicious. My friend Sarah makes this for every party she throws, and I feel like I just stand by the table and just like keep eating slices of it. And so so good. If you're hosting any type of event, highly recommend this. I can I can confirm it was delicious. What about reading? Reading, I'm still finishing up a few things. I have two books that I literally have like 50 pages left each. But I also started reading, because now I have a hard uh, copy, uh, The Christmas Orphans Club by Becca Freeman. Have you heard of her? I didn't pay her to say this. I would have. <laughs> no, she didn't. Um, I started reading it on the train back because I haven't read it since like the, I guess, I don't know if it was the first draft, an earlier draft. It was an early draft before, I think you read the same draft that I sent to my agent for feedback. So it was before I'd had any outside professional feedback. Yeah. And it was wonderful. But, you know, there's something about reading the physical copy. And so I am just really enjoying that. And here's another little plug for you guys to go pre-order if you haven't. Oh, thank you. What are you reading? So I read The Blonde Identity by Allie Carter, which comes out August 8th. So apparently this author was a very prolific YA author. And I don't know if my age, like I just missed, I was too old for this or like maybe I just missed it. But anyway, this is an adult novel from her. It is so much fun. It is Mm. kind of like a campy spy novel. So it's about this woman who wakes up um, in Paris, has no memories And is being chased by bad guys, basically. And it turns out that her identical twin is like a super spy. And she's just a normal woman. And so it's like, it's a very rollicking, campy, good time. It's a romance. It was so fun. I just feel like I was smiling the whole time I read it. And I feel like I was just like racing through it. I adored it. And if you have any nostalgia towards Allie Carter because of her YA books, like, I think you'll absolutely enjoy. That sounds very fun. It was a good, fun break to read on vacation. Well, if neither of those interests you, uh, you can join us for our August book club, which is going to be Family Lore by Elizabeth Acevedo. If you want to talk to us about any of this, you can join us in the Facebook group, Bad on Paper Podcast, or on Instagram at Bad on Paper Podcast. I'm Olivia Mentor. On Instagram and in real life. You can find me in my home at Olivia Mentors. (laughs) And I'm on Instagram at Becca M. Freeman. Uh, Bye, everyone. Bye.